Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Julie Bowen. I'm Chad Sanders. And this is Quitters, the podcast. This week, we are talking to, drumroll please, that's, that's me playing a drum, a tiny little drum, Brrr. Chad Sanders. <laughs> Quitters, the podcast was Chad's idea. And this week, we get to do a deep dive into the stuff that he quit. How do you feel about it? I feel like you found stuff in my story that I didn't even know was there. It was kind of like watching you write my story as we talked out loud. Now I have to go back and think about my own life differently because of the conversation we just had. Well, I had read your book, Black Magic, and then we met each other and we've gotten to know each other on FaceTime and now in person. And this whole podcast is us getting to deepen that relationship and then welcome other people in to talk about the things that they have quit. And it's always so surprising because like you just said, Chad, everybody comes in with an idea and often they end up talking about something completely different. They realize there's something else they wanted to quit. And I think we had some of those moments with you too. Yeah, no, we did. You really know how to dig for the good stuff. Damn. Therapy. A lot of therapy. So with that, we're going to get to our interview with Chad Sanders. Let's do it. Come quit with us. I feel like I'm in outer space right now. And I, I mean that here specifically, like just think of yourself for a second as Julie Bowen character in the world, flipping a laptop computer around and showing me a little Nas X video. That's going in my book. It whatever, is. whatever book it is, like that's going somewhere because that's crazy. You know? <gasps> that's why I wore this today. Why? I was so in love with his jumpsuit. Oh, yeah, there it is. It got in my head. I wish I had a pink one. Okay. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Your art and what you put out there and your energy and stuff, like, it attracts certain people. And I was watching Modern Family 10 years ago at my boy's house. And I saw you on the screen. And... Can I actually tell you the thing my friend said? Because my friend, he's an asshole, but he's really funny. And I love him dearly. Like, he's not a real asshole. He's like a good asshole. In the show, you're married. And I guess y'all are in your 40s or something in the show. And he's like, man, if your wife looks like that in your 40s, you did a good thing. And Like it. Yeah. I like it. And I was kind of like, I didn't say it because I hate to agree with him most of the time. But <laughs> Yeah. If your wife goes through 90 minutes of hair and makeup every morning before she walks into the <laughs> kitchen. What I took it to mean was your electric human being. If anyone ever asks how to describe you, I'm going to say she's electric. <laughs> she's a jackrabbit. She's such a live wire. She feels so alive. 
And I think that's an energy that attracts a certain type of person. And I could feel that over a Zoom screen in our last months of getting Mm -hmm. to know each other since Rachel, I think Rachel is the person who tactically put it together. Oh, absolutely. Rachel tactically puts together almost everything. Rachel's energy also, which is very different from yours, but it was warm, but enthusiastic and productive. Oh, I can tell this person makes stuff. And then on top of that, you're curious. You are going to stumble over shit because you move at such a fast pace and you move like so enthusiastically, run through a wall every second. I feel like I can tell you stuff. I feel like I can tell you my whole track of thought, which I can't with most people. Well, you're the one who came up with this idea of quitting making you stronger and better. You wanted to talk when you were framing it initially about how quitting was a thing that was a way that made you grow. Yeah. And that it is a cleansing thing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you want to do more of. Yeah, for sure. Do you keep a list of the things you want to quit in your mind? Not a list necessarily, but at any given moment, I can feel, if I'm being honest with myself, I know the things that have control over me. As an example, I stayed in a friendship for three or four years too long that I knew was hurting me the whole time. I've stayed in relationships, not that long, but six months too long. Why did you stay in that first relationship too long? Because I was scared of being lonely because it was helping me find myself in my career. I thought everything that was hurting me in this friendship must be a reflection of something that's wrong with me. My friends always make the joke that I'm going to have like 30 groomsmen in my wedding. But in my head, I feel like I will leave a friendship so fast that doesn't feel good anymore. I really love freedom. What I feel the best is when I just walk out the door and I have no idea where I'm going. Y'all have offered to give me plans to do stuff in LA. And I've just been driving around in that car feeling... Like nothing is attached to me and it's been really nice. Okay. Yet at the same time, you value relationships. You refer frequently to these group chats, to these people that you're constantly in contact with, your girlfriend, your parents. You would never really quit the whole jam. No. And I think I get to have those relationships in a better way when I keep space for them. Quitting feels like creating to me. When I go to sit down at a computer to write something, I have to have every other window closed on the computer and I have to have a wide open space like this one that we're sitting in. Even if it's a hotel room, an office, a beach, a coffee shop, I need to know that that's the only thing that there is, whatever's in my head and whatever's going to go down there. When you were talking about quitting, there was a friendship that was toxic for you. How you described the way that you write as being like, got to have a clean space When I hear that, I go, oh, that reminds me of when I get too hard on myself. I have to get straight A's. I have to work out. That quitting things can ultimately lead to where you are not engaging with the world is where my brain goes with it. And you're saying that you're quitting things in this stage is about making space. Yeah. And what are you making space for? For my real life, for who I actually am not even pretending 3% to think that a joke that I don't like is funny. Because you work in comedy rooms. You professionally have a dog in that race. Is your life going to be 5% easier by pretending that joke is funny and therefore allow you to grease the shoot for your joke? 
Or does that kind of rigorous honesty make your job harder in that room? What I don't want is for anybody to think, oh, what a dickhead. He thinks he's so in touch with himself. Because, of course, I still do laugh at a joke I don't think is funny sometimes. Uh-huh. Just out of kindness and decency to make someone else feel welcome and feel warm. But if I find myself being dishonest too many times at my job, then I got to just be faithful and just trust that the right room will find me. The room that really actually tickles me will be there. I felt genuinely tickled in this room a lot yesterday. I'm an introvert. I can't expend that energy all day, every day because I'll run out. And I see the people who I used to look up to who are running out and it's coming out on the other end of their work and their Uh work sucks now. And Uh they look miserable. They watered themselves down. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. I think they laughed at too many jokes and made too many jokes they didn't think were funny. And then they lost touch of what jokes they actually have a little bit. It's interesting because I think of you as sort of an academic. <laughs> Maybe because that's how I was introduced to My your work. My mom will love that. <laughs> I think of you because I was introduced to you first through Armchair Expert. was the first time I heard you. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, this guy is fascinating. I want to know more about this guy. Mm. And so then I read your book, Black Magic, and I thought of you as very academic. And then your piece, The New York Times, all of these added up to serious, serious man. (laughs) And so to be talking about your place in a comedy room, that to me was like, what? You do comedies? But that is such a collaborative social job, much more so than writing a book, I imagine. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's so collaborative and finding yourself having to hide. Do you feel like you can get your best work done even when you're hiding some of yourself in that setting? Well, I mean, if you're just keeping it a buck, as we should, my ex-girlfriend's in that room. What does keeping it a buck mean? Like keeping it a hundred. Got it. A hundred cents. Oh, a hundred. A hundred. I know a hundred. I got it. You got it. me. All right. Um, (laughs) Your ex-girlfriend is in that room. Yeah, which obviously presents its challenges, but it means that you really can't hide that much because somebody's going to know if you're lying. Did she really know you in your relationship? Good question. She knew me as a 16-year-old, and then she knew me as a 20-year-old, and then she knew me as a 25-year-old. And this is my high school girlfriend. So, I mean, this is pandemic living. It's a Zoom room, which means I am sitting at a laptop at the bar in my kitchen looking at a screen with 11 other writers on it, sort of unusual, edgy, fantastic, funny, mostly black, mostly women writers, including my ex-girlfriend, who I took to the prom and went to college with. And behind me on another laptop is my fiance, who is buzzing around back and forth doing her own work at her own job. So it's really hard to just lie. I can't say that much about who I used to be that's made up. And I can't say that much about who I am right now that's made up in that moment. Now, as a writer, I still find my ways to dance and wiggle. But like you calling me an academic, someone else might call me a comedy writer. Mm -hmm. I played some music for these two. I hope someone soon will call me a musician. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In your book, you talk about quitting this corporate path. You graduated from Morehouse. Yes. A historically black college or university? College. College. And kind of got sucked up by Google. Before, and you were sort of like, what do they do here? You don't just search things all day. Yeah, I didn't even know yeah. how they made money. I think most people don't know how they make money. Advertising, right? Yeah, I mean, among a million other things. Right. But that's why they're Google. Right. Because of advertising. But that must have felt exciting as hell. And certainly the people around you probably were going, oh my God, Google. I think my family was excited and probably a little bit scared because it meant moving to California. But they were really excited about the opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. And I was excited about the opportunity mainly because I wanted the adventure, but also because my friends were going into banking and consulting companies, things that were fancy and had fancy LinkedIn titles. I need an adventure. That's what quitting for me does too. It's, I break one loop and I get to go figure out what I'm going to do with myself. It just all felt like an adventure. Google, what? Like Google was like 10 years old at that point. Google has jobs. California, smart people. And then as I got there, I sort of realized, whoa, like white people. What an adventure. Wait, I forgot so that about that. hadn't them. occurred to you. Not really. Is that the gift of the backlash of being at an HBC? It's a gift while you're there. Yeah. Because you just get to float. You get to be a person, not a color. That contextual orientation, which is where I have to be serious and you get to be silly, yeah. which I think we're breaking free of and reorienting. Oh, I say so. Yeah fucking silly man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. I am silly. Like, and I love that. Yeah. In every classroom I was in, in, in high school, in middle school, it would be a gazillion white people. You know, the same way that I kind of sometimes can feel like I'm playing defense against a certain path of conversation uh -huh, when uh -huh. you show me little Nas X right, or when you say right. this. Imagine doing that with 30 other people every day. I can't. You can't. I can't. And that my was my experience life. is so goddamn white. Yeah. And then that was my life. And then I would have all this pent up sort of aggression and frustration and hurt from that. And I would go be unleashed onto a basketball court. Thank God. Uh, but when I went to Morehouse, all of that was released. I could just breathe. I was free. Of course, I was still angsty. And at that point, like the closeted artist, basically. I didn't know that at the time. So I still had all that anxiety and I still didn't feel totally comfortable. I still drank a little bit more than I should have to feel comfortable as college kids do. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But for the most part, you figure out what you are. Was that a little shocking? Yeah. The force of white people is so strong everywhere that it can make you be so perfect and proper and stand upright and shake hands at a 90 degree angle because this force of robotic whiteness is so strong. I need to just be perfect. But going back to Google and leaving the four years at Morehouse where color wasn't an everyday feeling. It doesn't go away, but it's just like anything. When we congregate together with the absence of whiteness, it's just a completely different experience. At a black school, it was cool to be in the frat. And there was one particular frat that was the coolest. And that was what I did. And it's hard. It's not like go play drinking games at an HBCU. Oh, it's not? No. What do they make you do? It's more rigorous, I would say, than the drinking, drinking. games they play at some other schools. I yeah. got it. And the same for the sororities. But it is very much another way that people create status layers. Mm -hmm. I almost feel protective now talking about our community because it's precious to me. Those are the people who really help 
put wind in my sail. Do they continue to? Yeah. And it's the ones who I don't expect. It's not like the ones who were my best friends in college. I can't even explain the feeling of community that I have from that place. If I run into somebody here in LA at a restaurant, I know we can catch up as if we haven't missed a beat in 10 years. So what happened then when you left that and went to Google? Did they give you some chinos? I went and shopped and bought khakis, chinos. I overwhited myself. When I got there, people were looking at me like, what does this do? I had like button-ups and collars and... <laughs> My little sleeveys rolled up and shit. I would literally go look at Polo Ralph Lauren magazines and right. Monaco. And, uh -huh. Is that uh -huh. how you pronounce it? And I was really just like, how do you do this? Because it feels like a very bright light of almost freedom that white people have in mass. Uh -huh. You go to a white house party and there's a bonfire and nobody's worried about cops coming. Like <laughs> you, That's so true. It's crazy. Why would I worry? I'm having a struggle right now about volume of the music in my own house just mm. with neighbors. How many parties have I been to that got shut down by cops? I've been to parties that were shut down by cops, but it felt a lot like, okay, guys, let's take this down a notch, all right? Not cool. No handcuffs. There would never be handcuffs. What I have observed a hundred times is dudes being thrown in the back of cars, guys face down on the pavement, uh. handcuffs. What's the football term? Like excessive roughness? Yeah. That's what I have observed. And that's not even as bad as it gets. So there's something comforting about putting on the white mantle? There's something that is faux comforting about seeing people who appear to be so free mm -hmm. and appear to have such access to the universe. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I, I wanted all those things. When I become a focused energy in one direction, uh -huh. it can make everything else in every other direction feel like it doesn't exist. I was so focused on the direction of how can I get white people to think I'm interesting, I'm cool, and I'm smart, and I'm free. I would stop inviting my boy from the frat, who was also working at Google, to come to the parties with me. Wow. It was a little desperate. It was unflattering. So what was the point when you made a choice to literally and figuratively quit this? So when I was at Google, I move around a lot. I was in Oakland for a year. I moved to the New York office for a year. Then I went and moved to London and I was working out of that office. At Google, I always felt like little brother. I always felt like this dude, we got to give him the most remedial thing to get done because he's so dizzy. He doesn't know how stuff works here. He doesn't know how to speak the language. He's sweet. We like him. He's charming. He doesn't know what he's doing. And I never got promoted. And I watched my peers getting promoted. Uh. But they were coming from even the ones that looked like me. They came from Princeton and Stanford and Harvard. They knew the operating system. They had already been in the white world. They knew what indicators of success and value people were looking for. And I didn't. I was always playing catch up. So when I went and lived in London, it was just different. They treated me like the American expat. Not like the black American expat. Yeah. And if they were treating me like the black one, it was probably in ways I couldn't see because uh -huh. the way they were treating me as an American was so yeah. overwhelming. And they were so into me. They thought I was smart and cool. I knew stuff from home base. They took me out, went on trips together all over the place. It was night and day from what I experienced back home. And then I came back to New York and they treated me like shit again. I still wasn't getting promoted. How do I make anybody here think I am valuable? And 
I remember I had a long conversation with my mom on the phone. I was walking around in front of my apartment on Christopher Street in the West Village. I was just pacing back and forth telling my mom, I just don't feel like this is the life that I want to have. Even if it starts to work, even if I get promoted and in 15 years, I'm a director here. This doesn't feel like the thing. I don't feel like a big version of myself. I don't feel seen. I don't feel like it's working. I got bigger plans than this. And it was sort of an argument because my mom worked at a corporation for 30 years. She did her whole career at Verizon. What I was expressing was something that didn't represent safety. I want to jump out in the abyss. I have New York bills. I'm barely making enough right. even at Google to pay for my lifestyle there. Was your mom supportive? I was going to say, your mom and dad, hardworking, professional people who wanted to give you the best, were protective. And your mom was a seriously like, come home, sit down at the dinner table and talk about corporate structure. You were raised on this. Yeah. And my mom has a strong force of will, but she's a graceful person. But Was she supportive? Yeah. That was not what she wanted for me. Right. And she let me know that. And that was really my first time going against, quote unquote, what my parents had in mind for me. Right. Was I was going to leave and go join this little itty bitty tech startup. It was like a half step. I was not yet willing to face what I actually wanted, which was to be whatever I am becoming. So how did you literally quit Google? Not emotionally, not figuratively. Like, how did you walk in there and say, I'm done? Actually, this part is revelatory. I went and told my manager, Deb, Deb LeCastro, who is one of the people that I love from there, went in and I don't remember what I said, but the sentiment was, I just don't feel like there's a path for me here. I feel stuck. I feel like I'm going to be little brother forever here. And I want to say I was crying. I, no, I know I was tearing up. And she was crying. She was like, I was waiting for you to come to conversation with me because you're right. You're not growing. Oh, did that make you mad? She was honest. And I tell you when I'm mad. That did not make me mad. I just knew I was right. I could see so many people who, some who cared about me, who would tell me, this is stupid. I felt people saying that. And then people actually did say that. This is Google. And I just want to make the point, Google's still kind of a cool place to work, but it's lost its luster. This was the Google that was winning best place to work in the world. Right, back right, to back to right. back to back, right? So you really didn't. When you went in there and you had to be filled with emotions, yeah. tension, just at letting down everyone. everyone, but you still knew you were right. No one was going to argue. If Deb had said to you, you know, I'm so glad you came in here. I've been wanting to talk to you about switching departments or teams. Would that have changed your mind? Possibly. And thank God she didn't. If she had said, here's another $20,000 a year. If she had said, here's this job on the YouTube product mm -hmm, team. Mm -hmm. if, but I had tried some of those things. Deb has integrity because I know a lot of people who would try to find a way to trick somebody into staying. Yeah. And she didn't do that. She had the integrity to say, you're right. You're right. You're not growing. Get out. She didn't say it like that, but <laughs> that's what I felt. I needed that. And I had already gotten the other job to go work at the ah, startup. And all. Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's another... That's key. You didn't jump blind. I did not jump blind. Do you think your parents understood at the time how much the quitting, what you were calling the white robot toxicity, was part of your decision? I don't think I understood it. Oh, really? No. When did you come to understand it? After I had left the second place, the tech startup. Where did you go? 
I went and worked at this tech startup called Dev Bootcamp. We would teach people how to code yeah. in this 19-week fast format. I totally know what course. Dev Bootcamp is. Yeah. yeah. There was a San Francisco office. There was a Chicago office. And I was a part of the group that started the New York office. I was hired by a guy who went to Stanford Business School who created a team to get us off the ground in New York. Uh-huh. And as a part of the program, we had mandatory yoga. The founders were two brown Egyptian brothers, which was a part of the allure of the company for me. Mm-hmm. And the mandatory yoga and therapy was trying to infuse a sense of purpose and morality and humanity. Did you believe that? You and I read a lot of the, the I didn't same care. stuff. You didn't care. No. Did you engage fully in the therapy or were you like, eh? Oh, you did? I did because I was curious. I was so curious about a format of interaction that was like this. Did you get anything out of it? Was that your first therapeutic experience? I got so much out of it. Oh, you did? Yeah. I was always a writer growing up, and I had stopped to focus on being this junior executive thing. Are you still wearing, like, pink button-downs with the collars up? No. When I went to this tech startup, these are such good questions, because that was an important transition for me, which is where I started really dressing like... More like yourself. Yeah. More figuring out what I like to wear. And so I started wearing joggers and T-shirts and started to grow my hair out. I was starting to change because I was starting to feel a little more like myself. But this therapy thing, it opened up a faucet in my brain of all these thoughts and experiences and moments of my life that I think I wasn't paying attention to. And it just started to really pour out. Yeah. When Kaplan came in and bought the company and I left, obviously that vessel was taken away from me. This was a really awesome blossoming for your brain. Yeah. This is like what's happening in my head. You know what I mean? I feel like you're wired the same way. It's like... Oh, I absolutely am. But I also think of myself as a privileged girl who went to boarding school. Everybody went to therapy. Not was where that I'm from. Right. So I'm just wondering if that was a shift. Did you feel embarrassed to talk about it? I felt relief. I felt like I have to talk about this stuff. I have to paint the picture for somebody without somebody cutting me off, without somebody forcing their point of view on me. I have to just get this shit out of here. Because it's, it's keeping me up at night, you well, know? Well, it sounds like you got to like a really good place and then they sold to Kaplan, which is an educational company. And then it was gone. You must have been like... <gasps> you know what happened is I started writing my first TV pilot because I needed another... You need to put it out there. Mm-hmm. How can you equate that? And is there any part of that that was part of quitting? No doubt. That's it. I don't think I would have taken it to the page if someone hadn't taken it away from me. Right. The same energy, the same thoughts and colors were all still there. The same water, it needed to flow. You put your finger in this hole and it like, it just finds another hole to come out. And if it doesn't find another hole to come out, then it goes back in your head when you're supposed to be asleep at night, I think. Did your therapist encourage you down this more creative path, the therapist from the startup? No. You were talking about other things. We were talking about how I was going to be a Fortune 500 CEO. I was talking about our office like it was Game of Thrones. I was talking about it like, this person's got to go. I'm going to get this person out of the way. Khaleesi. This is my ally. (laughs) Yeah. I think if I get control of this org, then I can leverage that to take this other thing. And she said that. She was like, wow, you really like talk about this place like it's Game of Thrones, which... Yeah, I was like trying to make it interesting. I was trying to make it fun and interesting for me. Did that work? Not enough. This life is way more fun and interesting than that. But when did you then quit 
The reason why I left the company was Kaplan bought it. And when I joined that company, I, like many others, had been promised not like a huge, but like a significant amount of equity in the company such that when it sold, I was supposed to make some good money. Right. And I did not realize that by the time I even started working there, they already had the wheels turning on an acquisition with Kaplan. So when Kaplan bought it, I got like a couple thousand dollars, like pennies. And I had left Google to go work there. Right. I went in this dude's office and I said, this is how I feel. This is what I think I deserve. This is what you told me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, should have got it in writing. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) And the way he said it, and I am really wary of this tone when I feel it on people, he almost was saying that, like, this is my gift to you now. This is a lesson. You should learn from this. And that was one of a few different instances where guys like him at that company made me feel like, you should just be grateful to be here. Look how much we already pay you type of thing. And that was really when I was like, man, I just got to go get it on my own because this is some bullshit. That is horrible. Experience. I mean, that's terrible. But also, you did take that wisdom from there. Get it in writing. It changed me. It was just me and him in the office. He looked me right in my eye. And he was right. If you can take away from that, I need to get it in writing. Mm-hmm. That's all you take away from that. Plus, actually, a couple of years of awesome therapy, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. That is worth it. The only way to wisdom is those painful lessons. Yeah. And I don't want to understate that that therapy revealed my gift. I can tell story. I can uh-huh. really do it. Had I not gone and worked at that weird woo-woo company that dropped out of the sky, uh-huh. that Kaplan bought, then was taken away from me, maybe I still would have found my way back around to that thing. But that is how it happens. Okay. So how long after you were told, should have gotten writing? Did you quit? I collected as many checks as I could doing as little work as I could before it was egregious while I started to write my screenplay. Okay. Yeah. That was your runway. I worked from home every day. I didn't know, but I felt like something's in front of me. I need money. I don't have another job offer waiting. So the real leap wasn't Google. This was the big leap. I mean, this is a leap into the this unknown. Was the there big was leap. no soft landing. No. But it's crazy. I left that company in May mm-hmm. and I met Spike Lee sitting outside a coffee shop the next month. It was like, boom, boom. What is it then, as you look back at that, that you quit? Because it wasn't just white corporate America. I was quitting living for a career that was built on prestige and these little itty bitty steps, incremental steps up a ladder with no end in sight that was supposed to make me feel safe. A year later, I went back and tried to get a job in tech. I went and interviewed (gasps) for a recruiting job at a tech company. you're telling a very dirty secret right now. It is a dirty secret. I was sitting on a plane to come to L.A., had very, very little money, was again spending the few amount of dollars I had left to take this flight. Mm -hmm. And I opened up an email that said, basically, you did not get this job. Your resume does not tell the story of somebody who works in this industry anymore. Do you think that that was a little bit of self-sabotaging on your part when you were putting together that resume? I remember I went into my interview and I spent 90% of the time talking about writing. Okay, so you were not, so yeah, (laughs) you were setting yourself up for what you really wanted, not for what you thought you needed at that moment. And you might have needed because that was my security. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you kind of sunk that interview. I was boxed in. Right. Yeah. You didn't go to the extent of not going to the interview. But if you spent 90% of the time talking about writing, that is not a man who wants a tech job. No. It would have been a job that was five years behind the last job that I had. 
And I was willing to do it for— Because you were scared. $45,000 less a year than what I was making before. Because I was scared. Because I was already missing weddings and funerals and christenings and birthdays that all my friends were going to, traveling around the country and around the world. Because you didn't have any hanging money. Hanging out because I had no money. What's the next thing you, that you want to quit? Is there something that is looming in your mind? Because you said very early on, I know the things that have me, that control me. I have accepted that it matters to me if people like what I give them, but they need to feel me like it has to represent me. And I want to let go of living for other people's approval. It's funny when you said like you thought of me as an academic, I thought that was funny because I've never thought about myself that way ever. There's other labels that I think I've attached to myself. Such as? Such as writer. Right. Screenwriter. Mm -hmm. But you did publish a book. Yeah, and that's a different thing. That's author. It's author, but it is also a look at how the Black experience and the trials and tribulations of the Black experience can make a Black person better. That's the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. That's the Black magic. And that is a very intellectual idea. I appreciate that. What I want to quit is I used to tell people I was whatever thing I thought they were looking for. Sure. You know? Yeah. I just want to quit all of that altogether. I just want to be able to be what I am. You want to have zero fucks to give. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what we all want is to just quit the judgment and quit the fear and quit the doing for others. And yet at the same time, there's no way to devalue like... I mean, the biggest bomb drop since I've met you was that guy saying, you should have gotten in writing. And it's also life-changing kind of stuff that you have to engage in to learn. Yeah, I mean, you can't know what's going to be over there before you quit it. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom from quitting. And this was your idea, Chad. This was all your idea. So I do thank you for that. But I look forward to the adventure that we're going to have together doing this with other people. I feel like I learned a lot today. And I just want to say, you ready to quit? Yes, I quit. I quit too. Love you. Love you.